He is an Arizona native who spent a bit of time living in Europe as a military brat. Again, I didn't say that, it's here. <laughs> and various places in the southwestern United States. He has gathered many life stories during his childhood and young adult years and uses these stories to make God's story come alive. His father was an Air Force weatherman who later embraced the call to preach. And he, of course, followed in his footsteps. Along with learning lessons about what it means to live by faith from life's many experiences, Dan earned a few degrees along the way. He received an Associates of Arts degree from York College, Nebraska, and a Bachelor of Science and a Master's in Ministry from Oklahoma Christian University. In addition, as an intern resident in the Institute of Practical Ministry in Dallas, Texas, he gained some invaluable hands-on training for which he is particularly grateful. For 22 and a half years, Dan served as a senior minister for the Metro Church. For the, last, for the past five years, he has served with Real Life Christian Church. During the past four years, the Lord has used Dan to launch three life locations across Central Florida. He has also shared the gospel in various mission points throughout the U.S. Um, and the world, including Russia, Kazakhstan. that word just kills me. Thank you. Yeah. England and Honduras. Woohoo, Honduras. A God-directed progression of his ministry has been sharing with fellow pastors from his pool of experience. He has mentored pastors, consulted with churches to help clarify direction for the purpose of obtaining their desired results, for which I know he has done for this church and for Bishop. He is definitely one of Bishop's closest friends. We welcome him to the platform, Pastor Dan Holland. Hello, Core Faith. It's good to be with you today. Everybody doing well? Yeah. We're doing good. Great to be with you. Uh, just a word before we launch into this message. And by the way, you'll need to open your phones or Bibles to Romans chapter 8. That's where we're going to be today. Um, yes, Bishop Jason Quinones and I have been friends for a long time. We're the old guys now. I mean, I'm an old guy, but you're older than you were when we met, right? One of the one of the things I, uh, as I was thinking about this uh, speaking here today, for which I'm honored, I'm very grateful, is that I respect your uh, pastor, Bishop Jason, so much because he has a genuine love for his wife, and he loves his family, but he also loves the Word of God, and he loves the church. He wants the church to be real. He wants the church to be a place where people can come and hear what is true. And more than that, believe what is true and then live it out. I'm just, I'm, can I say I'm proud? I don't, I didn't really do anything, but I'm, I'm just so happy for what God is doing here. You and the other uh, pastors and elders here are just, um, it's just, I'm encouraged by what God, is, what, what God is doing. Also, it occurred to me as I was sitting there this morning, you know, we wouldn't know each other if it weren't for Jesus Christ. It's very interesting when you take a step back and look at all the people you know in your life, it's, there, there are so many relationships in the church that the only reason you have a relationship is because you've been saved by Jesus Christ. You have a relationship in your family because you have the same Savior, and that accounts for so much. So let me, before we read this word, I would like to uh, pray. Father in heaven, I am honored by the opportunity to speak to your people today, 
I pray, Lord, and ask that this word, the truth from your scripture will be planted deeply within our hearts. Whether we are someone just investigating the claims of Christ and, and showed up today, or whether we have been walking with you for 30, 40, or maybe even 50 years, I pray that we would have a renewed sense of the power of the truth that you have written to us here. And I pray it all in the name of Jesus Christ and all those who agree say, amen. amen. All right, Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? And who will bring a charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, and more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of, the, uh, of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, neither anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. There are four words I want you to walk out of here with today, and I want you to be convinced of this truth in your life. And the four words are, God is for you. God is for you. And the reason that's so important is because biblically, the way we live is a result of the way we think. And the way we think is a result of what we believe. Now, I know that people who sit in a, a church and hear the words of Romans 8 would say, I believe that God is for me. And yet what happens uh, often is that life happens very quickly and, and things happen and mistakes are made and, and we begin to lose sight of this truth and the power of the truth. And so, so much else in the world gets our attention and we take our eyes off the fact that God loves me and that God is for me. In reading this passage, I was reminded of this painting by Norman Rockwell, and it's called Lift Up Thine Eyes. You see a guy on a ladder, and he's putting up a little sign, and the sign there says, Lift Up Thine Eyes. But notice all the urbanites who are passing in front of this Gothic church that actually is it's an actual church in, in Manhattan. They're walking by. All of their heads are down. They're paying attention to their own concerns and to their own life when just above them is a message, and the message is, lift up thine eyes. It is so easy to lose sight of what God wants us to pay attention to because we get so focused on today, or we get focused on yesterday, or we begin to worry about tomorrow. When the message in, that Paul is trying to get us to see here is, he wants us to hold up our eyes, to look up, at what is hidden often 
from our sight. And what happens is whenever we're walking along through life this way, we can know that the scripture says something. We can know that there's a truth like God is for you, but we begin to focus on problems rather than on the solution. We begin to focus on what may be a source of pain in our life rather than what is beyond that pain, which is joy. In some instances, you may actually find that you have been fixated on these things for a long time. I became, uh, uh, had a great illustration years ago when I, um, in Taekwondo, I've been to in Taekwondo for quite a while. I'm a certified instructor, which basically means that I stay in shape or a shape. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, are you in shape? Yes, I'm in a shape. So <laughs> apple, pear, you know, this, they're all, they're all a shape. But it's a practical illustration of the power of focus. In Taekwondo, one of the true, the first tests of a, of a martial artist is not only the, the fight that you might have with somebody or two other martial artists, but it is in the breaking of boards or as you progress through the breaking of concrete or through tiles, ceramic tiles, or in a moment I'll show you a picture of breaking through some Mexican hard-baked tiles. What we do with the student, though, is we will hold up a board when it comes testing time, and there are specific types of ways you break boards. It may be a palm fist, it may, be, it may just be a fist, or a knife, or it may just be a stepping sidekick. And we hold the board up, and we say, are you ready to break this board? Yes. And we've been practicing this for three months, and they've, they've not broken a board yet. So they begin to practice. But what ends up happening is they begin to, they, they get fixated on the board or the thing they want to break through, you're fixated on. Now you should know that this is hard and that if you just hit this, it will draw blood. There is an exception though, because we're trying to get the martial artist to break through the board and yet hit to another place. We're trying to get them to actually move through all the way through, it just so happens that the board is there. So, see, what Paul is doing here is he's trying to say, God is for you. I need you to concentrate on the fact that God is for you. I, I don't want you to become fixated on the troubles in your life or the hardship or, or whatever it is in your life, the, the things that, you, that you're worried about. I want you to look beyond that to the joy. Look beyond that that God is for you. Now, what happens when we get into this time of testing is we hold a board up and we say, are you ready? Yes. And we can see the fear in their eyes because they're, they're staring, they're concentrating on this board. And this happens with children. It happens with young adults. It happens with adults that we're training. And they become fixated on the board. So we set the board down. We remove it from their side and we say, listen, let's practice this just a little bit. We hold up our hands as though we're holding the board and we say, I want you to hit punch, or kick all the way through to my chest, which sounds fun, right? You all would like to have that opportunity right now. <laughs> I would like to do that, Pastor Dan. And so we hold, up the, we hold it up and we say, now, I need you to kick to my chest. And they practice kicking or punching to your chest again and again and again. And we say, now, are you ready? You need to key up, which means you need to yell loud and put all of your force through the object, hit punch, move to where you want to go. Even though there's an object in the way, you have to move through it. If you don't move through it, if you become fixated on it, it's going to hurt really, really bad. So we say, are you ready? Yes. 
It's like leaving church when you're excited. I got it. Oh, I got it. And then life hits you. <laughs> what happens is this. We say, are you ready? Yes. And we say, okay. And what happens is what they know with their mind and they believe in their heart has now been captured by what they see with their eyes. And so, rather than kicking beyond what they had seen before, now that it's hidden from their sight, because there's an obstacle in front of them, they begin to concentrate on the board that's in front of them. Why? Is it because they don't believe the instructor? No, I think it's easier than that. I think it's something much simpler than that. It is this. The board is real. And they don't want to hurt. Breaking a board is a very nice goal. It's a very nice objective. Having breakthrough moments in your life, who doesn't want that? But nobody really wants to hurt. So what the student knows with their mind and believes in their heart is hijacked by what they see with their eyes. That is a powerful lesson in life itself. And you may know that there's more than you may be able to see right now in your life. And yet... Sometimes whenever you face physical or relational or financial obstacles, just to name a few, what happens is this. And you lose sight of what Paul is trying to tell you here. What happens is suddenly peace is hidden from your sight. Joy is hidden from your sight. Faith is hidden from your sight. And suddenly what happens? We begin to focus on that problem rather than on the solution that is beyond that problem. You focus on what may become a source of pain rather than what is beyond that pain. I have known people who have been fixated on the board in their life for years. There are people who can be fixated on that thing. You just won't let it go. And you're focused on it for years, and it doesn't matter how many sermons, how many songs, how many times you're take, you partake of communion, it doesn't matter. How many friends try to talk you out of it, you're so fixated on that board, and God is saying, listen, I need you to just set that aside for a minute, and listen, I need you to believe that I am for you. Now, something powerful happens in the human spirit whenever we begin to focus our attention and belief on something that is outside of ourselves and beyond our trouble. For me, whenever I focus my attention on Jesus Christ and eternal life that is beyond anything on this earth, I find exceptional joy and abiding peace. And when I focus on joy, I'm better able to break through the obstacles of life, not always without pain. And not always on the first try. But that's life. Now, when I was testing for my third degree uh, black belt, there is a, there's a day and a half of testing. It culminates with a special break. And this break is three uh, tiles. These tiles are Mexican baked, baked tiles. They're about as thick as this board. And there are three of them. There's a space in between them. And another black belt holds the boards with their fingers, and you have to go through them with such force that they break without moving. I have a picture of that here. My son captured this explosion. That's my hand in the middle of the uh, three tiles. 
Now notice, though, that it's, it's still moving. But what, what I want you to see is my objective was not to hit them. Because if you hit them, it just pushes them. They, probably, they might break. But it would just put the, push them and it would hurt. And I would be required to do it again. The next picture was captured by one of my friends. It shows the explosion that happened. But what I want you to see is how far my hand traveled. You can't even see my hand anymore because my objective was to move my hand from here to here. It just so happens that there was something in between. Do you understand now? The obstacles are not something we ignore. They're real. The pain you feel in your life, the struggle you're having, it's real. But so is what lies beyond. And so to help us concentrate on there, we have Romans chapter 8. Oh, by the way, I came home one day from the dojong and I had a video of me breaking two boards with, uh, uh, I had to do a knife chop from here, break a board just like this, and then come back this way and break the board. It was about this much distance. And I showed that to my wife and she, like most wives, you know, guys, we are the weekend warriors, right? And she said, wow, that's really that's really something. That's, that's really impressive. And then she said, you know, if, if anyone breaks in our house in the middle of the night and they happen to have a board, <laughs> you know, she said, <laughs> she really, <laughs> that's correct. So let that be a, just be forewarned, don't come in my house at night with a board. <laughs> Unless you want that thing broken. All right. So in order to help us concentrate on what is beyond, come back to me, come back to me. To help us concentrate on what lies beyond this, the obstacles of life and the realities of life, Paul asked five rhetorical questions. And it, these are very, very important. And the first one is verse 31, the first part. He says, what then shall we say in response to these things? What are these things? It's very interesting. He's, he's referring to everything that he's already written in the book of Romans, all the lessons that he has taught. What shall we say in response to these things? And in the chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, all the way through verse 8. So what are we going to say in response to all these things? And, the, and so what are the things? There are 216 verses. Anybody want to sort of summarize those for us here today? Well, I, what I'm doing here today, I have on the stage, are four stools. And these four stools are because Romans is a book of logic. He's trying to get you to control what you think because he knows what you think is based on what you believe, but it results in how you live. You want to live differently? You've got to begin to think differently. So he says here, there are four, actually four very large uh, conclusions that he draws for us throughout the book of Romans. They are this. The very first one is Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. He's preaching along, and he's, he's talking about the sinfulness of man and the righteousness of God. And he comes to chapter 3 and verse 23, and he says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. This first stool represents for us that we have been justified. It's your justified. This is the first conclusion. The second conclusion he comes to is in chapter 5 and verse 1. 
Therefore, since we have been justified, pointing back to this first stool, through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the second stool symbolizes for us, we have peace with God. The next conclusion he comes to is Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. Begins with therefore. Every time you see the word therefore in scripture, you need to ask, what is this verse therefore? You understand? Because it is a it is a conclusion that is being drawn. So we have not only been justified, not only do we have peace with God, but in chapter 8, verse 1, he says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because of the law of the spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. So this, this stool stands for no condemnation. The next conclusion he draws for us is Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, and he says there, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, God's mercy, it's, look at there, you've been justified, you have peace with God, and you are not condemned. In view of God's, that's God's mercy. In view of God's mercy, I want to urge you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So do not conform to the pattern of this world, but what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. As our minds are renewed, a transformation happens. And so I say to you, the way we think, is a res the way we live is, is a result of how we live. How we live is a result of what we believe. And so what happens in this passage is he's inviting us to not only believe it as though it's a truth that's out there, he's inviting us to experience it, to own it, to live in it. And so you have a stool here, and this is, this is justified. Anybody with sin realizes you can't make up for your sin, you can't forgive yourself. And so he says, why not have a seat? We say, oh, all right, I'll, I'll sit. You mean I'm justified? I feel awkward about sitting here because, you know, I don't want to give off the air that I'm perfect. I'm not perfect. Ever had anyone say that to you? Just respond, we know. We all know. I am justified. But more than that, because I've been justified, I have peace with God. And I can sit here and I can say I'm at peace with God. Not because I've done everything just right or everything's... Because God has made it so that I'm not at war with him. You may be at war with your wife right this very minute, but you're in church, so you're faking it. But you're not at, but you're not, but you're not at war with God. You're at peace with God. And because you're at peace with God, one of the things that, we, that you need to own is this third chair... You are not under condemnation. Condemnation is from yourself. It's from others. But when you are in Christ, you are not condemned. For everybody in Christ Jesus is not condemned. See? Then he says, in view of God's mercy, what's our response supposed to be? It is supposed to be that I am going to... I am going to be transformed because my mind is transformed. God says, I'm not asking you to earn my love. I'm asking you to believe that I love you and that I am for you. I'm not asking you to move to me so that I somehow am impressed and say, well, come to me. You've impressed me now. I'm asking you to believe I already love you and to live your life in that sort of relationship. 
So the first question he asks here is, well, first question is, what then shall we say in response to all these things? And these stools are representing those things. The second question he asks is, if God is for you, who can be against you? It's a great question because it helps you to see beyond your circumstances. It helps you to see just beyond anything that's coming. What's coming against you right now? Let me just ask that. What's got you down? Is it doubt or is it disappointment? Is it loss? Is it death? Would it help you to know that God is for you? And are you facing financial heartache? Are you facing regret or frustration of some kind? Would it change anything about tomorrow just to know that God is for you? God is not against you. It's not you against God. It's you and God against whatever it is in front of you. And if God's got your back, then why would you worry? Why would you be afraid? Regardless how hard it seems for you to believe this, God is for you. And the best example of this is Jesus Christ, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the shame and the scorn of the cross. We ask, well, how did Jesus make it through the cross? If this board represents the barrier, how did Jesus make it through? And somebody says, well, it's because he's God. That's how he made it through. And I say, oh, no, no, no. Hebrews says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He went through this because of the joy that was out there. You understand, it matters what we think and it matters what we believe. We can break through the hardest, most difficult things that God has asked us to move through only when we are concentrating on the joy that is beyond. When I, when I believe beyond the shadow of a doubt that God is for me, I can break through. The third question he asks Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? How do you know God is for you? Is it because somebody came by and said, hey, I just want you to know God is for you. No, it's because he proved it. He gave his best. And it's illogical for us to say God gave his best. He made all of this possible. But then we live our life concentrating on this little thing. Well, but I'm worried about this. And well, but I don't know if God's going to come through on that. Paul wants you to know that God went all the way and gave his very best. He gave it all. Why would he hold anything back from you? If he said, I gave it all, why not concentrate on that rather than our circumstances, the trouble, heartache, or disappointment? Why would we not, why would we choose to concentrate on something so small when we have all of the mercy of God in view. You see how this changes everything. It changes the way I do marriage. It changes the way I do family. It changes the way I do my finances. It changes the way I am at work. It changes everything. Why? Because it's true and God loves you. You know, God didn't hold out on you. He just didn't hold out. Rather, he gave him up for us all the supreme act of love. And for us indicates that Jesus Christ literally stood in our place. Jesus is saying, I did this 
for you. I really do love you. God said, I gave Jesus to prove to you that I love you, to demonstrate that I love you, and I want you to know that I am for you. The fourth question that he asks is in verse 33 and 34. He says, so who will bring a charge against those whom God has chosen? That's a great question, because especially for people who are used to feeling guilty. People can be made to feel guilty so easily. Well, I should have done that, or I shouldn't have done that. Uh, or I, and he says, he, he just starts, says, fourth question, who's going to bring a charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. That's chair number one. Who then is the one who condemns? Nobody. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Y'all know that the devil's the accuser, right? Now, as a believer, you might be concerned about your sins, honestly, and wonder whether in the end they're going to overcome you. I know I've been forgiven, but what if God happens to, you know, have a video of me doing A, B, or C? The Bible teaches, though, that the devil's a liar, and when he speaks, he's just speaking his native tongue. The very name Satan, y'all know this, means accuser, according to Zechariah. The devil reminds you that you have sinned. And when he reminds you that you have sinned, I think you need to be reminded that you have been justified. I think I'll go take a seat right now. Why? Because he's telling me I've sinned. I'm justified. The, the, the devil says, yeah, but you know God's not happy with you. He said, nope, 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 nope. I'm at peace with God. God and I are good. We're tight. It's okay. I've been forgiven. In fact, Jesus is at his right hand interceding for me all the time. I, so, if something goes wrong, Jesus just leans over to the Lord and says, he said, I got that. I got that. He's interceding all of the time. Why? Because God is for me. And the devil comes back and says, but you know you've done wrong. And that's when you start feeling guilty. And that's when you need to take a seat on this third stool and say, yeah, but there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the devil accuses you. And you know what? He's right. You have sinned. He's right, and that's where the problem comes. But what the truth here is, when the devil reminds you of your past, remind the devil of his future and say to him, I am not under condemnation because I am in Jesus Christ. We choose to believe that we are living in condemnation or we choose to believe what the scripture is trying to teach us right here, that God is for you. And that is why we can be transformed. Why? Because our minds are being renewed. The battle is not out there. The battle is in here and here. You see, it turns out that the devil is not our greatest enemy. He's not our greatest threat. You are. The devil's not your greatest threat. And men, your wife's not your greatest threat either. She's your greatest fear. But she's, but she's not your great, but she's not your great, I only fear one man on the earth and it's my wife. You know what I'm saying? I only fear, but, but what happens is we say the devil this and the devil that and God said, but I've given you the ability to, to control what you think. So do it. And stop fixating on the board that's in front of you. Break through. Live, as, live and see the joy by faith. See the, see the victory that you have by faith. 
And then he asked the fifth question. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Those are all big things. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, or present nor the future, nor any powers, nor any height or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He just says, in all of those things, we are more than conquerors. And by we, he means you. You are more than a conqueror. Now, I don't know what comes to mind when you think of a conqueror. But I am more than a conqueror. I, I, can, I can live a victorious life. You can live a victorious life. You know, it's one thing to say that you're a conqueror. It's another thing to live like it. From all my life, I went to church. I was baptized. I've taken communion every week. I've read through the Bible many, many times. I read it regularly, and I, and I pray. And yet, just to be transparent, I wasn't always living in victory over the problems in my life so that I could really live for God, I felt, and, and be helpful for people. But through the study of God's word, through mentors, and through just being disciplined by God, through hardship, I came to understand what it means to be more than a conqueror and how I could get there. And if God can do it for me, he can do it for you. See, to be more than a conqueror means that before I ever get into any problem, I already know that whatever the problem that is that comes my way, I can overcome it. I already know that whatever temptation I face, God's already provided me a way of escape. So whatever tries to blind my sight, I already know the truth. And I believe the truth. Focusing on Christ, I choose to focus on the fact that I am justified, that I am at peace with God, that I am not condemned, and that I am not what I was, but I am being transformed, and I'm not what I will be. I choose to focus on that. When Paul comes along and he just says, you know what? He quotes from Psalm 44, which seems odd, that you're like sheep led to the slaughter all day long. But it's interesting because Scripture shows that while God's love is sure, so is troubles of life. It's just a reality. And while pain isn't a part of your plan, it's always been a part of God's plan. He asks who, not what. He gives them life. Who's going to separate you from the love of Christ? It's interesting because People fear, I think, that they're going to be disqualified at some point. And we like to tell people, you know what? God loves you, and he loves you unconditionally. But I wonder how comfortable you are saying, God loves me, that God is for me. I mean, I, I know God's for you, but there are moments where I wonder, is God for me? I want you to choose to believe that God is for you. This is especially important for those of you that serve and lead and you guys give so much. You need to hear God is for you. He's not angry. He doesn't love you because you stay really, really, really busy doing good stuff. He just loves you. And sometimes we can get so busy that that, that, that truth that God loves me is hidden by just the stuff of church. I remember this 
I was at a conference maybe 10, 15 years ago. Pastor stood up. It was a conference for leaders, leadership conference. There were maybe five or 6,000 people, maybe more there. And he said, I'm going to, to close this session, I'm going to have this, uh, this so-and-so, this woman, come out on the stage. She's going to sing Amazing Grace. We're not going to have instruments. She's going to sing a cappella because I think that le- as leaders, what's hidden from our sight sometimes is that God's amazing grace is for us too. But we spend so much time telling people, you know God's, God loves you. You need to know God loves you. We tell people God's grace is big enough to, to handle what it is that you're going through. Well, you need to believe that too. And I thought, well, this would be interesting. I was like a middle school kid on the back row at a youth rally going, well, hope this gets through quick enough. That's good. Heard Amazing Grace, I don't know how many times. And then she began to sing, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. As she sang, uh, I was hit with an allergy attack. And water started falling down my face. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm breaking apart. Oh, no. So what's going on here? But in that moment, I was reminded about the sheer size, the bigness, the magnitude of the grace of God. And I was reminded in that moment as my face was saturated and tears dripped onto my shirt that God loves me. And that I could give up trying to impress him. And I know it, it sounds almost like pretend, and I, and I understand that if you, if you say, yeah, I know God loves me. But, you know, we're like, uh, we're like a referee out on a football field, and we throw a flag on the play, and we say, yeah, but you don't understand. I am suffering so much. To which I would reply, I've been there, and I will be there again. But listen as the scripture teaches, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his son and daughter. Trust him. Yeah, but you don't understand. It's these people did this and they did that. God, no, 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 no. God's disciplining you. That's how much he loves you. And then I got to play in the game. Yeah, but Lord, I may have caused that and I may have done that. No, 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 no. God is disciplining you through that hardship. It doesn't matter if you got, if somebody drove off the cliff or you turned the car and drove off the cliff yourself. God will use that hardship to bring discipline into your life. And we throw another flag. I'm just not sure that God can forgive my sin. And the scripture says, I want to remind you that I have cast your sin as far as the east is from the west. I have buried it in the deepest ocean. The problem is that some of us, knowing that God has buried that sin, we can't let it go. And we go fishing for it. We're like, yeah, but I don't know. And sometimes the issue is that we're just just paying the consequences of that sin. So another person throws a flag and says, but there's just so much happening in my life to which I want to say, oh, dear child, God is working all things together for good. And I don't have an answer for every little detail that's going on in your life, but I know God is good. And I know God is for you. We tend to think of God's love, I think, as conditional, but that's not the message of the Bible. We tend to think that unless I do you fill in the blank, then God's not going to love me. Or God loves me except when I do this or until I do that. And yes, I said before, there are consequences for your decisions, and yet God loves you. In our world, we're very used to conditional love. We're used to, I'll love you if, I'll love you when, or I'll love you until. 
But it's hard not to apply that mentality to your relationship to God, isn't it? Because you tend to think the better you are, the more God loves you. It's just wrong. Because God's love is radically different than the love you've come to know. God's love cannot be earned and it cannot be returned. As it turns out, God is for you because he loves you. It's just true. But the power of that truth is in whether or not you believe it. There are the three words where Paul writes, I am convinced. Those three words, those three words make all the difference. If you remove those three words from the passage, it's still true. It would read, for nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. However, it just won't be true for you. And if you change the pronoun from I am convinced to he is convinced or she is convinced or my dad is convinced or my mom is convinced or my friend is convinced or my husband or wife is convinced, it will still be true. It just won't be true for you. It's just powerless. It's, it's like having something out here that, that has all the power in the world, but you just say, I, I don't know. I don't know if I really believe that God is for me. So we, we set it down, we walk out, and we're just, we're just not convinced. But Paul comes along and he says, I'm 100% on this. I am persuaded. I am convinced. I know that I know that nothing in all of creation can separate me from the love that is in Christ Jesus my Lord. And it's almost as if across time, he's inviting us to take a seat. And it's interesting as followers of Christ because we can find ourselves at various points in life really needing to sit down somewhere. Sometimes we're overwhelmed with our sense of indebtedness to God. And the Lord says, we invite you to sit on this first stool and remind you that you're justified. Just have a seat. You've been following me a long, long time. Why don't you have a seat? Take a load off. And sometimes he says, why are you fighting me so much? Why, is, why all the angst? Why don't you go sit on the chair that reminds you, sit on that stool and be reminded that you're at peace with me? I think I will. Just have a seat. Just... Just enjoy it. You mean it's okay just to sit down, take the weight off, not, not work so hard to earn your love? Yeah, just, no, have a seat. Whew. You know when you've been standing all day working hard and you take a seat? It's nice. It's even nicer when you sit and realize you're at peace with God. You can give up the fight. Some of us, though, insist on standing up we're, we're like, no, I believe that I'm justified and I believe that I'm at peace, but we're like the guy that jumps on the, air, the, the airplane and he's standing in the aisle and the, the, the flight attendant comes by, sir, could you please take a seat? Oh, no, 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 no. I don't trust airplanes. I'll just stand. That's silly. But how silly is it for a follower of Jesus Christ to be able to sit in the peace that God has provided and not have a seat? And while we're sitting here at peace with God, sometimes... The devil will come and start to accuse us. Oh, it sounds right, and we would hate for anybody to know. And if it was a video, we're done. And God says, no, you don't understand. 
Who can accuse you? Who condemns you? No one. You need to go sit over here. Those of you who find it so easy to be condemned and to feel horrible about yourself, you need to listen to God and stop listening to whatever voice is telling you that. Take a seat and enjoy the fact that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not because you're all that and you're so good, but because you're in Christ Jesus. And the exciting part for me is that I can, I can say in view of God is so merciful. Every day I pray, God, thank you for your mercy and your grace because I need it. And I get to sit here in this seat and I get to say, you know what? I'm not going to conform to the standard of the world where I play all those games. I'm going to enjoy the fact that God is for me. I'm going to renew my mind. And Father, you do what you do best and transform my life. Now, I wonder, you know, there's a part of me that wishes we could just take a moment, just have people come and sit on whatever stool you think you need to come sit on. But that would take way too much time. And it'd be way too telling. You can certainly walk out of here today without being personally convinced, but I, I just think that's not a good plan. If you've never responded to Christ's love, I just want you to know that God is for you. And he's going to continue to call you to himself. And he's already, he wants you to know, I've already given my best for you. But you have to be convinced of this for it to have power in your life. If you are saved, then today as a child of God, live secure that nothing in the universe can separate you from the love of God. Live secure in that and enjoy your life in Christ Jesus. When hardship, hardships and heartaches show up, and they're going to, fix your focus on what you know is true. God is for you, and there's joy just beyond. So concentrate about that because how you think is a result is going to cause how you live to be for Christ or against him. So how we live is a result of how we think, and how we think is a result of what we believe. Let me pray. Oh, Father in heaven, thank you for your grace, your mercy, and your love. Thank you for core faith, and my prayers that each man, woman, and child in this room would believe and be convinced personally, and that this will have power not only for today in our lives, but for every day of our life. In the name of Jesus, I pray, and all those who agree say, amen, amen. amen.